Donner und Blitzen! And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That is German for thunder and lightning. Yeah, wow. Is that why? The, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, Donner und Blitzen. Isn't that cool? Wow. What's it took Rudolph me like stand two for? years of German to, to finally put that together. <laughs> uh, but that is in honor of Haas's new sponsor, Lightning Volt. Oh, Oh god, yeah, Jesus! Oh. I just—I'm sorry, Danny. Yeah, I thought I we left that in you. the rearview mirror, in that really <laughs> small rearview mirror. But yeah, there's a uh, there's a news story on this uh, Google Doc that uh, mm. they're coming back. They're coming back. That's Danny O'Dwyer. I'm Drew Scanlon. Also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Not too bad. Uh, if you are new to this podcast, welcome. Welcome, Velkoman. Velkoman, yeah. If you're uh, new to Formula One itself. Um, we do recommend listening to our preseason primer episode, which uh, wherein we assume no prior F1 knowledge, um, and it uh, it gives the lowdown on how the sport works and who everybody is. This year's primer episode is episode 59, so if you want to go back and listen to that, give it a shot. Also, this show is supported entirely by our audience at patreon.com slash shift F1. Every month we release at least one bonus podcast and video exclusively for uh, our patrons covering racing documentaries. Uh, F1 video games, primers for other racing series, a lot of weird stuff. So if um, you want to support the show and get access to all that, uh, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. Uh, what's uh, What was on the slate this month, Danny? Uh, we have the vote for F1 game history number five, uh, wherein I play an old Formula One video game. Uh, went live just this morning. Do you want to do you want to hear what the votes are so far for the three? Sure, yeah. The three good. The, these are like three good games. I feel like this time. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you I'm, didn't put a bad one in. I, I couldn't. I ran out of bad games, Drew. That's the honest. <laughs> you, you, they made problem. you play them all. I yes, I went back through my catalog of of uh, bad F one games, and because everyone had voted for them all already, because they like to see me suffer, I've none left. So I have a bunch of uh, goodies: uh, Super Monaco Grand Prix two, um, that's Ayrton Senna's one, F one twenty eleven, because I thought it'd be fun to go back and play one of the classicy ones. Um, oh, okay. The, the, I think that's actually the second Code Masters one. I think twenty ten was the first one they did, um, and then also Mario Andretti Racing. Uh, which is more of an indie, indie delicious. Uh, also on the Genesis, currently in third place is Mr. Anjeri with 29. F1 2011's got 40. And of course, leading the pack, Mr. Ayrton Senna with 73 votes. It looks like I am going to be... Uh, each each time we go around Monaco, it's kind of our benchmark. We always do Monaco at least. So mm-hmm. there's no way I'm escaping it now in Super <laughs> Monaco uh, Grand Prix 2. And of course, we had our uh, podcast, our second episode of our Drive to Survive series. Um, went up uh, about a week or two ago now, I feel like. Mm-hmm. That was yep. a fun one. Yeah. So yeah, get on there. Loads of stuff. Also, you can watch us review both Rich Energy uh drinks and uh Danny Ricardo's Blue Coast Brewery beer as well. All if you become a patron today you get access to all of the old stuff too. So it's not like you have to, you know, pick your time. So there's never been a better time to be a patron <laughs> of uh, Shift F1. Uh well let's just before we jump into uh or get to Germany, let's jump into the news, shall we fellas? Sure. Um I have hesitated to put a lot of 2021 news in uh in this podcast in the i guess months prior to this because so 2021 is when the big update for formula one is coming new Mm. cars uh updated rules that kind of thing uh and there have been like rumors leaking out kind of throughout the whole process but this week uh or probably last week was the first time that f1 was 
uh, like officially coming out with a lot of information and saying like, here's what we're thinking, here's what we're doing. So I figured that would be a good time to kind of go over what everyone is thinking. This uh, rule set is being proposed to teams uh, from the FIA. And if they can agree with uh, each other and F1 and the FIA by September 15th, um, that will then go forward to be ratified by the World Motorsport Council on October 31st. And then everything would be all nice and set for uh, 2021. But the, the right. big goal here for Formula One has been something uh, Ross Braun, their sporting director, has been talking about for forever, is improving the racing, which I think F1 aims to do. And I think what a lot of people uh, assume is the best way to go about doing that is by making it easier for the cars to follow closely if you've been watching the sport for a while you know that there's a problem with the turbulence that comes off of the cars as a result of their huge wings that produce downforce it basically makes the cars behind unstable and that damages the tires because they're kind of sliding around the track a lot and you just can't like if you get too close you get into that dirty air and it makes it much harder to uh to stay on the track frankly so um the the big thing that f1 is doing to combat this is an emphasis on uh ground effect instead of the big emphasis on wings they both produce ground for uh downforce but ground effect is more like kind of like the the brabham fan car that was uh, exploiting <laughs> ground effect it like sucked the car to the ground uh this and i'm by the way just to get this out up front i'm gonna make a lot of technical errors in this explanation <laughs> But um, can, can I ask you one really early one, actually, yeah. just because you not only are you someone who hosts a Formula One podcast, but you're also somebody who's flown planes quite mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, uh, ground effect is a term which comes from planes first, right? It's like the the effect of how the aerodynamics work differently when the plane is like on the tarmac as opposed to when it's in the air. It's the, the sort or close of, to the ground. Yeah, close to really. So have you comes felt up that? a lot more like, helicopter sims? Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense because you're yeah because the direction of the air is being forced. I guess. Have you felt it when you were flying? Is it like it absolutely? Kind of feels like, it's like a floating feeling or something. Yeah. So when you're, uh, it's most apparent when you're landing is when you're. It's not like a linear, like forty-five degree angle when a plane lands, and then you know you don't just do that and then hit the ground. You come in and then you start to feel the ground effect, and then you sort of float over the runway for a long time. Right, uh, because the the air from the wings is hitting the ground, and um, you know, kind of getting a, it's it's cycling back into onto the wings. So, um, does it create like a pillow feeling or something? Or it's more like I wanted the plane to land, but it's not, and wow. so the whole the trick is to hold it off as long as possible and not push it into the ground, so that you Christ. basically just stall out of the air and land on the runway. Um, I think this is a little different. There's similar uh, uh, physics going on, but basically what the current, the way the current floor of a Formula One car looks is basically a flat plane. But what F1 wants to do is create these huge channels that'll basically uh, act as a huge diffuser. And by shoving air through those channels, it will go faster underneath the car and thus reduce the pressure and stick the car to the track. Uh, this is a this is how IndyCar works. They uh, have smaller wings, and they basically like races like 
the Indy 500, they basically run no wing because they're just sucked right. to the ground <clears throat> with these uh, ground effect cars. So uh, Autosport has some really cool, I'm going to write a note here to link this uh, in the show notes, uh, pictures of what a 2021 car could look like. Um, because you also, not only do you have to have those channels underneath, but you have to have ducts in the side pods to, you know, push the air underneath it. Um, and that also means that the, the wings don't have to be as large, particularly in the, in the rear. So, uh, I, I thought this was cool. F1 has even started a rule breaking group to try to find arrow loopholes that, oh, wow. uh, they're trying to anticipate what the teams will do. Um, but it's they like hiring hackers to set up your <laughs> your network security. <laughs> yeah, uh, FIA's head of single seater technical matters, a guy named Nicholas Tombazis, says that the uh, ground effect only causes about five to ten as much turbulence, um, as opposed to current cars, which cause like forty five percent loss in performance for the car behind. So. Um, that's that's their big goal. And Grand Effect isn't like it's it's not this isn't something new to F1. It's something that they kind of attempted to eradicate. I feel like in in my in my mind's eye, maybe Rob, you can lend uh, your expertise to this. I, it it was my understanding that it, it sort of because it was making the cars almost too easy to drive that it was something that they were sort of trying to move away from for a number of years. Ground effect? Uh, so the main thing that killed ground effect was a sense that it was unsafe. And so it's okay. interesting that it's coming back because when they were being really aggressive with leveraging ground effect aerodynamics, the idea was, and I think this was kind of like the fan car was like the apotheosis of this idea. <laughs> but the problem was that... <laughs> It's actually just a broader issue with aerodynamic grip. Right. As you begin moving away from mechanical grip toward aerodynamic grip, what you are creating is a car that is moving faster and faster and faster. But if that grip, if that downforce is suddenly removed, if that grip is suddenly lost, you have a car like traveling at catastrophic speeds that basically like will be very hard to regain control. Uh, Aerodynamic, like, Ground effect aerodynamics, I think, were particularly uh, focused for this issue because of where the grip was being generated, mm. and when it would be when that grip would be broken, uh, if there was like a disruption or the car received contact, there was a feeling that it was just it was dangerous and that it enabled high rates of speed that maybe weren't safe mm. um, if something went wrong. But it's also a very different time. I think the type of ground effect aerodynamics they're talking about now isn't quite as drastic. Like, basically, what they're talking about is standard aerodynamic elements under the car. And I don't think it's like it was in the day when there was kind of an interest in designing a car that would sort of, you know, sort of be suctioned onto the road. Right, I'm, I'm I'm trying to look up the 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 weight of the weight disparity as well between, you know, the cars in the 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 late seventies sort of grand effect era. Like the the Brabham uh, BT forty nine was about five hundred and eighty kilograms. Um, yeah, they're like nine hundred now. Yeah, so there's a you know with with all the everything else we've got in there, like the batteries and just the general size and gait of the cars. Um, 
I wonder if that is going to make a, a big difference too, too. But yeah, I mean, I, the, the biggest problem they've had, this is the perfect conversation to have coming to Hockenheim ring because this is the, I think the first circuit where they stuck a third DRS straight on it to try and get some way of getting people to overtake each other. So, I mean, if they can remove what has been the sort of specter of of uh, this aerodynamic era away from F1 and, and get rid of the, the dirty air problem, um, this would certainly help. Or at least make overtaking less of this artificial sort of, you know, tit for tat we've seen with the DRS. Yeah, I think that's a different discussion. Um, mm. But uh, I think if you could, like, they're they're going as far as to say about the tires as well that they thought that they they think that the designs to degrade tires were a mistake, and right. that they are reversing course on that as well. Um, yeah, so Tombazi says, uh, yeah, that means the tires will degrade. They don't force people to manage the tires so much, and they have a broader working range so as not to be as sensitive as they currently are. I think the tricky part there is that we want to keep pit stops, right? We can't just mm. do a Formula E thing and have it feel like Formula One, which I think is why refueling is coming up again. I think uh, FIA President John Todd was the one to first God, kind of... it's a bad idea. Yeah. yeah, I think everyone else thinks it's a bad idea too. And maybe yeah. Rob, you can illuminate a little bit about this, but it seems from what little I've read is that teams basically solved it at a certain point. And so there was no there was no variation in strategy. It was just like, well, this is the optimal thing we're going to do it. It wasn't you don't have these quick split second calls no. like you do with tires these days. And even so I don't know that it was necessarily that teams totally solved it. I think you run into the same problem that no matter what paradigm you're using for uh, what is going to cause the cars to come in and be serviced, which is that the teams are going to f- converge on a few viable approaches, but there's not going to be a like ton of different game plans you can run in F1 pretty much like there's three tire compounds. But really, in terms of most Grand Prix, we see there's two strategies, and then there's like a fallback strategy if somebody's dealing with either a screwed up race or a massively compromised uh, car performance. With the fueling era, the wrap on those races, and I think it was a fair one, is that they became really strategy driven races. Yeah. But even when that works, is that interesting? Not really. Is it fun watching a duel completely come apart because literally somebody can't finish the race uh, or can't continue going wheel to wheel because their car is going to run out of gas? So even when those things would come into play, it didn't generate like a more dramatic or interesting story for what a for for what an F one uh, GP was like. So I I don't think I think it's telling that Jean uh is revisiting that era in his head because mm. he had a great deal of success in that era. Mm. I'm sure I He's am sure he looks back on it fondly and thinks the racing was great. But I don't recall <laughs> a lot of people saying the rules were particularly fantastic back then. I think this is just it's I think mean, it speaks to the the degree to which people in F1 will kind of avoid confronting just some of the contradictions of formula one right well if you know we create fast degrading tires and then then we'll force people to come in uh and they'll consider all these really uh baroque engineering challenge ways to sort of force some kind of action but they will never consider something like a reverse grid grid race or something like that or ballasting (laughs) uh 
So, by the way, I was I was wrong real real quickly. The cars are almost nine hundred uh, kilos. They're they're seven forty. Um, okay. All right. But if we go back to the minimum weight era, of like uh, so, like the turbo era yeah. in the eighties, mm-hmm. uh, they were five hundred kilos. So yeah, right. and and so I think this was this is the other thing is all these twenty one these, these twenty twenty one conversations. The thing that makes me nervous is uh, these conversations are supposed to be fairly <coughs> advanced in terms of where they're where they're at and where the sport's supposed to be for pinning down what it's going to look like in the future. Where these conversations appear to be happening, it's not that far along. It feels like there is so much daylight yeah. and so much basic, like definitional dispute about what makes for proper racing. And so you get things like uh, you got a lot of drivers saying the cars are too heavy. And Ross Braun is saying, well, we can't because if we heavy cars are the price you pay for the energy recovery systems, which we've said is necessary for the technical foundation of the sport. Like we cannot go away from the hybrid V6 turbo engines. That's that's a strategic level shift we've all we've all agreed upon. And that was worth uh, 140 kilos. And if you want cars to be light and nimble like they were before that changed energy systems or like it was back when they were just, uh, you know, turbocharged, normally aspirated, uh, sorry, turbocharged, uh, you know, traditional like V10 engines, you're not going to get that either. And uh, it feels to me like there's a great deal of discontent and frustration with about with where F1 is at right now. And the stakeholders who are talking all have these radically different diagnoses of the problem that just that just feels like 2021 is not that far away. These these this regular this regulatory overhaul is not it like kind of needs to get done, and it feels like there's just such massive dispute about what good F1 racing is. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if if Ross Braun and and maybe some of the the folks who actually have their fingers on the button actually have a pretty good idea of what it is, and they're just allowing these conversations to happen, you know, so that they let can, everybody come to them. Yeah, um, I wonder. I, I I also think just to go back to the refueling thing for a hot second, I think it's a it's a disastrous optics problem for them as well. I think the last thing that everyone needs to do in the current era, especially when they've done so much to bring in this in the hybrid engines and and make them. Um, you know, fans aren't complaining about how loud the engines are anymore, right? Like we've we've gotten past that. I think the last thing they need to do is start to you know reshow the specter of big oil all over their um, all over their sport. Uh, you know, the climate crisis is only going to be something we're talking about more and more, and the more work they can do, or like the less work they can do to directly put their head in between that crosshairs, I think is a is a good idea. Yeah, agreed. I. Just wanted to run down the rest of the technical rules here that there I think a lot of these are considered still. I don't know that anything has been set in stone, but a lot of them are cost saving measures. So a lot of standard parts like wheel rims, uh, wheel hubs and nuts, pit equipment, brake systems, uh, restrictions on the use of certain materials, uh, reduction in wind tunnel time for teams, which is really going <laughs> to stick to McLaren, who is rebuilding their wind tunnel. Huh. Uh, what I actually just learned that their wind tunnel is cooled by that giant pond 
in front of their headquarters. Oh, right. That's, That's why that pond is there That's to cool. cool their wind tunnel. Um, yeah, and then uh, other, I think, still up in the air things, reduction in the use of driver aids and electronics in car pit car to pit telemetry. Uh, yeah, and then introduction of more standard parts, simplification of the chassis, uh, reduction in number of race personnel uh, at race weekends. Um, yeah. Ferrari's well, uh, entourage is too big. They're just <laughs> everyone's cousins turning up. Right. But uh, yeah, that will be hopefully confirmed by everyone. Thumbs up by September 15th and then mm. ratification by the World Motorsport Council on October 31st. Uh, It'll get delayed will. again. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right, but we'll, we'll keep you up to speed on that. Mm. Speaking of uh, car improvements, Danny, you want to tell us about Gene and team? <laughs> is that is that the what we're taking away from this particular story? Uh, yeah, it looks like Haas is once again doing a, a split spec uh, race in Germany this coming weekend. If you remember, they only got four turns back at Silverstone. Oh, you're God, you're right. It's not like yeah, exactly get much out of that one. Yeah, what a shame. God, that's awful. Um, yeah, this from uh, Autosport. The Haas F1 team will introduce an aerodynamic upgrade for Kevin Magnussen at the German Grand Prix and continue its experiment with Roman Grosjean using the specifications from Australia. That's Australia, not Austria. The first race of the season. Um, at the previous race in Britain, Grosjean dropped the aero package Haas had introduced during the first phase of his season reverted to the spec he started the campaign with however the split spec experiment to try and zero in on the team's race pace difficulties was undermined by Grosjean and Magnussen colliding on the opening lap Magnussen's car will now have a new upgrade designed to improve downforce and the car's overall drivability um, uh, at Hockenheim this weekend with Grosjean preserving the Australia spec package so if you remember uh, Grosjean qualified Magnussen right he just generally seemed to have a better time around the track on the old spec at least in qualification um but i guess the entire point of this was to see how well it fared over the course of the race because that's been their achilles heel right is the, the the car has completely um sort of fallen apart the longer it's been out on the track um yeah I, is this just do you reckon this is just because they they just don't know like they can't go back now because it would have just been a i guess it was a, a wasted weekend no matter what but yeah they just they just have to continue the experiment yeah, I, I think they need some kind of benchmark, right? They need some kind of control group to figure out if where their improve, improvements uh, have mm. improved or where they where they haven't. I thought it was interesting at the bottom of this article to hear Grosjean's analysis of where the car was lacking. Right. He says, when we brought the upgrade in Barcelona, I wanted to revert on Friday evening. Yeah. For me, the feeling was not so good from the rear end, especially through medium and high-speed corners. The feeling hasn't been good in those corners. The feeling hasn't been good in those corners since then. Going back to the Melbourne package, the car felt a lot better in those regions. It shows that something was not working as expected. Now the aero guys are looking into it, but we know it's been our weakness. Obviously, that launch package has some limitation uh, also. It has less downforce, uh, but it does have better stability. So sounds like they're dialing it in, but I think they do need some kind of control. Yeah, TikTok at this stage. It's... Uh... Yeah. Yeah, the season's slipping away from them as well. The, the they were all everyone was kind of together. That little group was kind of together um, a couple of races back, but it's definitely spread out a lot more now. So they kind of need to get on top of it. Uh, some insight into where speaking of weak cars, uh, Renault's car is weak from Autosport.com. Cyril Abitable talking to them. 
he also says that it's really the medium speed corners, particularly where uh, they are long and they're lasting. That's where the characteristics and the balance of the car are hurting us. The good news is that it's one problem well identified, properly understood. It's just the time it will take to bring the solution. Changes are coming, but not an awful lot will be done before the break. I would prefer to have some substantial changes when that will be possible and also a long-term plan, including next year, rather than trying to push something into the next race, which is not going to make a big difference. Yeah, a lot of medium-speed corners coming up in Hungary as well, or in Germany. Speaking of Renault, Rob? Yeah, you remember, uh, so we talked a little bit about this on the uh, on the Drive to Survive pod we were doing for the Patreon backers, but you remember that when Rick, there's that sequence when Daniel Ricciardo is trying to figure out what he's going to do next and thinking about whether he wants to stay at Red Bull uh, or whether he wants to maybe do something else. He's hanging out with his advisor at the time, mm. uh, a little bald dude, and uh, the guy's name is Glenn Beavis, and that's how he's introduced is Daniel Ricardo's advisor, which even at the time, I'm watching the documentary, I'm like, that's a weird way to refer to an agent. Yeah. It's not, yeah. Well, apparently he's not an agent, uh, and things have gotten a little bit sour uh, because that dude, Glenn Beavis, is suing Ricardo for 10 million pounds for... A 20% commission on the Renault contract. Which is a big commission. That is a big commission. (laughs) And it's kind of messy because... So, Beavis has a company and he claims... So, basically, his claim is that there are agreements governing uh, his his advice and the role he plays in securing new business... And the operative part of this is, according to Beavis, he found the the Renault deal. He set it up. And then he turns the deal over to Ricardo's people, because Ricardo has uh, his own company, White Dunes, which is kind of his and his family's business, plus a family friend uh, that handles... It's kind of a, a company that acts as his agent but since uh since last year ricardo has gotten official representation by uh caa which is a major major Mm. uh originally like a hollywood talent firm but at this point they're a uh like representation agency across sports and uh media and so he is now working with caa nevertheless Beavis is claiming he he is owed uh, a twenty percent commission on the value of the Renault deal because he started the conversation and then the conversation was finished up between Renault and uh, Ricardo's people at White Dunes, and so he wants his money. I have no idea how, like, I can't evaluate these claims, obviously. Like, you'd actually need to see what the contracts are. But I can sure, like, we can sure gossip and be messy about, like, (laughs) what we actually make of this. To me, it's like, the dude's not an agent. He's an advisor. Like, if you want an agent's agent's commission, you got to be an actual agent. Like, that, if, if he's just running around as, like, I'm Daniel Ricardo's official advisor... That made me mean something, but it doesn't mean his like it doesn't mean he's an agent. It doesn't mean he's like the official, like legally empowered representative of Daniel Ricardo. And that's who gets the big fees. 
Yeah, I mean, when CAA took over, uh, I can't imagine Ricardo thought, great, now I'm paying two people. Yeah, right. When I get my, when I close this deal. That's not, you know, that's not how that is supposed to work. Like, I'm trying to think of a way in which... Yeah, <laughs> somebody said it. Um, I'm trying to think of a way in which this contract isn't worded in a very like d- direct manner. Like, how could you? Well, maybe that's the in- problem. Infer, yeah. I like. Surely it is though. Like, surely this is just a case of looking at the paperwork, and it's not just this weird gentleman's agreement of like that's an absurd. That seems like a really high commission, even for. I guess maybe for an agent at that, but you're, what you're talking about is like Ricardo being on 20 million a year. Like the whole thing seems- also feels like Ricardo, like Daniel, get your fucking affairs in order. Yeah. Like, honestly, like the white dunes thing sound, or- the, the white dunes thing sounds weird to me too. Like, Oh, his mom and dad plus a family friend are running a representation deal around him as well. So like, so his representation was a company that he ran with his parents and their buddy. And mm. then his day-to-day advisor is Glenn, who is being paid according to Beavis's <laughs> uh, description of the contract he had from 2014 onwards with, uh, with Ricardo, was getting paid uh, 225,000 pounds a year, plus 20%, this is the operative part, tw- plus 20% commission on the value of all new deals he introduced that were concluded by White Dunes or Ricardo. And that begins to feel weird to me because either either Beavis is effectively his agent and then everything is somehow being routed back to Ricardo's company and his, his family as kind of a make-work program for the Ricardos, or... Beavis was basically like a conciliary or a counselor, which puts him more in like manager territory, which gets commission, but not necessarily like the huge agency fee. Hmm. The whole thing just sounds like this is why you needed to have CAA. Honestly, like this is the kind of shit you pay good money for not to have to deal with. But for his career to date, Ricardo seems to have been content running his business through his mom and dad, and then mm. Glenn. Yeah, it's my buddy Glenn. It's my buddy my, Davis. My court, my quarter million pound a year advisor. He also does my laundry. <laughs> Beavis states he. This is from Autosport, by the way. Beavis states he was paid his revised retainer fee and also commissioned on new deals, including one at twenty percent per the agreement, and one in the form of a rare Rolex wristwatch oh, in lieu Jesus of the commission Christ. due. Oh, Dog, God. if you're getting paid yeah, in a in Rolex trinkets, yeah, like and look, it could be real. You've done well, so, my servant. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure there are expensive ass Rolexes out there that are like. You know, the, the, clearly they do add up to a significant ch- chunk of change but man if you are if you are closing deals and instead of a 20% commission someone's handing you a watch that don't sound <laughs> yeah. legit anymore mm. right like if you if you're if you're saying they're being like oh yeah don't pay me the commission fee give me that watch um that begins to, that that enters weird territory for me i'll take your firstborn child speaking of legal troubles just a quick update on at rich underscore energy on twitter.com. My God. 
Rich Energy tweets, Now at Red Bull are taking William's story to court. A cynic might see a pattern emerging. Hashtag Rich Energy. Hashtag Better Than Red Bull. Hashtag William Story. Hashtag Business Intelligence. And then a photograph of, um, what is this? Particulars of a claim. Red Bull's lawsuit against Rich Energy Limited and William John Story. Um, the claimant alleges trademark infringement against the defendants in relation to their use of signs identical and similar to the claimant's well-known trademarks, Red Bull and Gives You Wings, <laughs> in advertising for energy drinks. Uh, Rich Energy in the past has used <laughs> hashtag better than Red Bull uh, and Gives You Horns. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like this uh, they have a, a pretty, good, pretty good claim here. But what I don't understand is why Rich Energy would tweet this out and then say a cynic might see a pattern emerging. It, it's, uh, yeah, we were trying to figure out before we went live, like, what... I'd also, like, like what what the tweeter is getting at, who, who also, this is just... This is William Story yeah. tweeting this, right? Like <laughs> right. He, so, like, he's referring to himself in the third person in the opening salvo, <laughs> and then... Yeah, a cynic might see a pattern emerging. Like what? Like the pattern that we see is that yes, William Story no. is a fucking tool. That's a the pattern. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like, what's what pattern is he talking about? Like that he's an it, that that everyone hates him. Like, yeah, I, no, like it's, what, what's your? Uh, this this entire thing like this feels like the guy wanted to be somebody. So he gets involved in F1 and like starts running this really aggro marketing campaign. And he's not really running a serious or legitimate uh, business no. or competitor to Red Bull. And now it's all coming apart. And he's just kind of. He's doing the thing where, you know, you keep like pretending like you're just having a good laugh. None of this matters to you. Like, oh, this is, right. this is hilarious. I'm just trolling now. And it's no, I think whatever plans this guy had are, are basically like burning down around him. And he is trying to sort of uh, big himself up on on Twitter uh, in the form of, you know, I think I think you see this a bit sometimes with like disgraced uh, small time executives and shit mm. like that. But I mean, we have a we have a much more positive Twitter brand story here as well, Drew. That's true. Uh, this uh, was linked to us, I believe, someone on Twitter, as well as uh, more information from reddit.com slash r slash formula one, which is where I go for all of my updates on rich energy. Um, <laughs> British GT3 driver Rick Parfit Jr., previously sponsored by Rich Energy, now sponsored by White Bikes. Amazing. And there is a picture here that I will link. Uh, white bikes, great British bikes now adorns his car along with the stag logo. Uh, looks, yeah, looks great. Yeah, he says, uh, very excited to announce my new partnership with At White Bikes commencing this weekend. It's brilliant to be partnered with such an innovative company, and their bikes are totally amazing. Expect some cool content from Brands Hatch. Hashtag no more negative energy. Oh, that's good. Yeah, beautiful. Great brandalism. All right. Well, uh, from from one Red Bull to not another to Hockenheim. Sure. <laughs> uh, what do we got, Danny? Uh, we're going to Hockenheim, uh, yeah. which is a, a circuit. I feel like uh, F one fans of any era have some sort of 
priors with. It's been kind of an interesting, uh, I guess, like a it's part of a couplet with the Nurburg Ring. There's been times where it's been you know, they've been toe-to-toe against each other for who's the German Grand Prix. There has been times where there were two Grand Prix in Germany every year. Um, and in more recent years, it's kind of been more of a, a an effort for one of them to sort of, I don't know, allow the other one to just save some money for a while so that, that they can hold uh, the German Grand Prix because both of the tracks have had uh, trouble funding over the past 10 years or so. Um, this track was built in the 30s and it's a very quiet rural part of Germany. It's uh, south of Frankfurt in the the west side of the country. Um, Originally, it was called the Triangle Course. Maybe you can pronounce this one for me, Drew. I don't know exactly how to do it. The uh, Dreikskurs? Dreikskurs? No boy. Uh, Um, Yeah, good one. Something like that? I'll go with that, Um, Uh, it was renamed Hockenheim Ring uh, when it was reopened after World War II. They had to do a decent amount of work on it, though, because there was tank damage, which uh, was probably something that happened quite a lot of cobblestone streets in Germany in the 40s as well. Uh, it was always known as a very dangerous track. The original track was incredibly long. like It was basically sort of like the Nordschleife and Nürburgring. It was this very, like a bunch of, tr- like the name suggests, triangle course, just long straights with sharp turns on the other end of them um, and it seemed to go on forever and as a result those light cars going that speed um, it was very dangerous too uh, there was a number of deaths over the years probably the most infamous was Jim Clark in 1968 who died at the age of 32 and my head he was always so old it's crazy to think he was uh, younger than us um, they added chicanes around then and then also sorry that was in a Formula 2 race that wasn't an F1 the first F1 race was in 1970 and it happened because of the uh, Nürburgring boycott that went on that year where the F1 drivers were basically saying like no we're not going to drive on the Nordschleife anymore it's just too remote too dangerous too fast um uh, so they went to the Nürburgring for that year and eventually went back to um uh, sorry yeah eventually went back to Hockenheim or they went to Hockenheim that year then it went back to the Nürburgring after they uh, decided to sort of reduce the length of the track um, and then it raced in Hockenheim Ring between 77 and 2006. During the 1996 to 2006, that's when both it and the Nürburgring were on the calendar at the same time. There was a, a time where I think the Hockenheim Ring was the European Grand Prix. There was a number of courses were named that. And also, interestingly, it was the Luxembourg Grand Prix for a couple of years there. Um where they got both of them in there. Uh, 2002 is kind of when the biggest fundamental change happened to the track. It's always been one of these Franken tracks that's been changed quite a lot over the, the past, um, uh, you know, 90 years almost at this stage. But uh, that's when they essentially, they the FIA demanded that they reduce the length of it because it was just too long. It was 6.8 kilometers at that stage. So uh, Herman Tilke got on it, um, made a made a Tilke course out of it. Um, the Mercedes turned up with a bunch of money and built this massive stand on turn eight. Uh, but uh, it's 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 kind of like one of it's it's a very classic looking F1 track to me when you go into the what is I guess the 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 first I guess the end of sector three and the start of sector one, which is this massive sweeping stadium that's been there for over 50 years at this stage. Um, like I said, it's a capacity of 120,000 um, and they usually get 
close to filling it in the middle of nowhere, which is uh, pretty cool. Although the same could be said for the Nurburgring, which is equally in the middle of nowhere. Um, unlike the Nurburgring, which is quite hilly, uh, this one's relatively flat. There's only about a four and a half meter elevation change over the course of the entire thing. Um, and uh, when it's not doing F1 races, it's doing drag racing. The biggest uh, European drag racing festival happens there every year, which is called... Uh, I kind of want to spell this. It's N I T R and then like camel case capital O L M Y P X. So it's it's Nitro Olympics, but it's done in the you know as if this was an energy drink, I guess. <laughs> or um, a hacker alias. Yes, totally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Crash override and Nitro Olympics uh, <laughs> going to take down the network. Um, yeah, so that happens every year as well, and. Uh, yeah, we've had it here since 2016 when the Nurburgring had a, a bit more trouble with its uh, with 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 its uh, funding, I guess. Uh, last year's race ended up being a bit of a classic. It was kind of a good battle between Ferrari and Mercedes. There was a lot of team orders between both teams with. Um, uh, Raikkonen letting past Vettel and, and near the end of the race Botas letting past Hamilton but it was also one where Rain basically made it a sort of a much more interesting race halfway through and also famously Seb crashed um, in the in a sort of an unforced error at a light, light mm-hmm. uh, low speed corner um, he was distraught on team radio almost sounded like, like he was crying you may remember um, and that sort of handed Mercedes the win uh, this is kind of Mercedes's home GP in that way as well. The Mercedes stand on Turn Eight is a, it's, and actually, actually, I think Turn Eight is the name of the uh, of that turn is also now Mercedes. Um, but uh, in terms of the track layout itself, it's very straight. There are, lot, there are lots of like, there's some long turny corners on it, but generally they're flat out for a large portion of this race. Um, they added when it came back, there was only one DRS straight between the turn four and turn six which is the crazy hairpin where it's a long straight and then they they have a a very sharp hairpin it's where a lot of the overtaking happens but they since added two more drs straights so now there's a drs straight on the pit straight there's a drs straight between turns one and two which are both sort of well i guess turn two is kind of an overtaking corner one is taking pretty fast and then there's a third one immediately after that they're one two three between uh turn uh, four slash five the sort of german parabolica is on this track um and uh and turn six and then i guess so the the main areas to look out for i guess are turn six that hairpin that's a the big spot for people diving down the inside and under breaking people uh, and then the other one is the sort of the, the re-entrance into the old circuit which happens between turn 11 turn 12 and a turn like 15 16 um, which is kind of that little arena section which has some interesting camber changes some medium um speed corners which can be tricky this is where seb went off uh, and then just from a viewer's perspective Perspective. Uh, it's just it to me. It feels like old F one, old Grand Prix in a way, where the 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 while you're coming into that area, the rising grandstands, those like very Germanic grandstands, that the sort of one tier flat you know 35 degree angle that sort of never seems to keep going into the uh, into the the, the horizon. Um, you know, uh, th- those are sort of sweeping around that whole section. So. Uh, I like it. It's a it's a a race that can kind of go either way. We can have a real boring one here, or we could have something super interesting. There's there's places for overtakes to happen artificially and otherwise, um, but yeah, it kind of depends a little bit on on uh, on I guess how everyone turns up. But it it depends on the weather as well a lot of the time. 
Well, Danny, I've got some news for you then. Weather-wise, qualifying day looks to be quite warm. Uh, mm. Low 90s in Fahrenheit or mid-30s in Celsius. And on qualifying day, Ooh. precipitation, 11%. However, that climbs to 50% oh, boy. on race day with temperatures in mid-20s Celsius or uh, high 70s Fahrenheit. So... Wow, similar to last year. It was, it was a hot, fingers. rainy day on, mm-hmm. on race day. High oh. humidity, uh, wind about uh, 7, 8 miles an hour or uh, 11, 12 kilometers an hour. So, yeah, could uh, could be anything. Uh, you mentioned Mercedes calling this their home track. They actually have a, a, a new livery or a special one-off livery, I think, that they're preparing for the 125th anniversary of Dommeler being in racing. Right. So there you have teased some images on social media uh, of a, a white livery, which I think is their traditional racing color, their historic racing color. So um, that, that'll that be interesting if they do indeed run that in the race. Um, Tire-wise, <clears throat> we are all over the place here. They are the drivers taking between one and two hards, and that is a, about an even mix across the field. And then from one to four mediums, Hulkenberg's only taken one, uh, and as is Danny Kvyat. But Hamilton, Verstappen, Gasly, all taking four sets of mediums mm-hmm. uh, and one sets uh, one set of hards. By the way, it's the the C two, C three, and C four compound, so not quite the hardest in the range. Um, yeah, and then uh, let's see, Ricardo, Hulkenberg, and then Kvyat and Albin are the only ones taking 10 soft tires. Everybody else, uh, a fairly even mix of uh, hard, medium, and soft. The Haases are taking four mediums? The Haases are taking, no, it's uh, Magnuson's got one hard, three mediums. Okay. Grosjean's got two hard, two mediums, hmm. which I guess jives with their... Uh, they're they're even even control group want to make sure grosjean has the most amount of tires right for science driver standings lewis hamilton on top with 223 valtteri botas with 184 max verstappen in third place with 136 sebastian Vettel just behind with 123 leclerc in fifth with 120 it's really heating up for third spot uh, Pierre Gasly's in sixth place with 55. Signs has 38. Raikkonen with 25. Norris and Ricardo were tied for ninth place with 22 points. Mm. Nico Hulkenberg with 17. Magnussen has 14. Uh, Perez with 13. Kvyat with 12. Alexander Alblin in 15th place with seven points behind him. Lance Stroll with six. Grosjean with two. Antonio Giovinazzi with one. And George Russell and Bobby Kay uh, with zero. Constructor wise, Mercedes got 407. Ferrari with 243. Red Bull's got 191. McLaren in a solid fourth place with 60 points. Renault uh, in fifth with 39. Alfa Romeo's got 26. Racing Point tied with Toro Rosso with 19 points. Gene Haas and team are in ninth place with 16 points. And Williams bringing up the uh uh-oh. Yeah. Two uh uh-ohs. Haas. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, in our fantasy league, which you can join by following the link in the show notes with the offer code or the invite code, Bro to the Future Part Three is in tenth place. Ninth, we got Speed Beast. Eighth is Pointless Racing Force. Seventh, Fry the Tires. Number six is Defcon One. Watch out for Dukes. Uh, five, fifth place is Maka F One. Uh, number four is Alpha Emojis. Back up 
toward the top. Uh, Mercedes all the way is in third place. Number two is the Hamilton's break the system and still in first place steering wheel. Hey, hey, give it to me. Move. Come on. <laughs> Rich uh, holds F1 out. energy. Did you see that? <laughs> the renamed <laughs> <No>. team. <laughs> That's beautiful. Uh, I swapped out uh, uh, Sergio Perez for uh, Carlos Sainz. Yeah. Nice. I feel like Racing yeah. Point maybe maybe doesn't have it. Uh at least at the current moment. So science, I'm feeling good about science. Yeah, science has been a has been a stalwart for me. He's been consistent. I have a lot of consistent kind of people on mine, I feel like. Very boring. Kimmy Raikkonen and science. <laughs> if you're if your team is sucking, you have one opportunity to completely wipe it uh before the Hungarian Grand Prix. Okay, before the break. Before the break. And then you have one opportunity after the break. Mm. So so you're only allowed one substitution in yeah okay otherwise uh, penalty free you can swap in one driver every race but okay. if you want to swap in multiple you you lose 10 points off of your total for okay. every driver you swap in so high risk yeah. maneuver indeed should we take just some emails danny let's do it absolutely shift f1 podcast at gmail.com you can do that or you can be really cool Go to f onecool slash emails and uh, which a lot of people still do. I know. Hey, man, it just <laughs> it's been there forever. It's the it's like the mail. The people will keep sending birthday cards. Um, this first question comes in from Joshua in the Netherlands. It's about W Series. It was a great little race on uh, this weekend, so uh, perfect time to catch up about it. Uh, Joshua says, over the weekend I attended my first racing event, the W Series race in Assen. Uh, it was a great race, but the reverse grid race on Sunday was even better. It's up on YouTube, so anyone who hasn't seen it really should watch it. Um, I also caught the Voss GP which included some beautiful older cars, uh, F1 cars, like the 2006 Toro Rosso and the 97 Benetton, which turns out to be frighteningly loud. Yeah, I wish I could listen to some of those classic cars. Um, part of what put me put this back on my radar and inspired me to go was listening to your podcast, so thanks for that. Uh, it was a great opportunity to go see some speedy race cars only about an hour from my home. My That's actual awesome. question, uh, would you consider doing a roundup slash overview of the W Series once the championship has concluded? Uh, concluded either on the regular pod or perhaps as a patreon bonus i've become a big proponent of it i'm getting to see a bunch of great women race who otherwise would not have been gotten a chance and the quality of racing is very good but i also have some criticisms about things like the limited availability to watch races online or on demand without an expansion expensive cable package uh, i do really like some of the additional content on youtube the paddock pastel roundups with ted kravitz uh, but they really should upload proper highlights for each race like every other series seems to do i'd love to hear what you guys make of the inaugural series overall positive and negatives uh, love the podcast uh and that was from our good friend joshua in the netherlands yeah so it might be cool to do it as a as a patreon bonus thing but let's do a little check-in i guess with the three of us how we feel about uh, the series so far i watched that race it was live on youtube and i didn't know it was going to stay there so i kind of watched it live at i think it was 3 a.m um uh to uh to to i guess enjoy it then and and yeah it's it's i feel like even the quality of racing has gotten better since that uh, original race as well everyone's sort of a bit more comfortable and then the fact that they just keep i mean the reverse grids was one thing but the fact that they swap cars every race and swap engineers every race to keep that sort of uh consistency or that that competition um has been super refreshing um drew you were talking about it last week i remember about how 
you've been enjoying it uh, did you catch the race over the weekend uh, I did not catch this one, but yeah, uh, thankfully it is on YouTube. I'll put a link in the show notes and it appears to be available for even Americans to watch. Yeah. So no VPN required as, as with the, uh, the Twitter archives, uh, uh until now. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. Like I was saying, I think it was last week that, uh, that, that shuffling of cars and engineers has really allowed the audience to see where, where the real talent is. Um, like the like if you can still be consistent when you've got a different car and a different engineer and everything and go out there and qualify high and then finish the race high like that I think that kind of says it all right and personally having watched I think I've seen four races to this point um, that format has uh, enabled the championship standings to line up with kind of where my perceptions are so I'm right. you know no expert but uh, I think that uh, that's a, a really cool way to, to run a racing series. And you're right, the, the racing's been really close. Um, and they've actually done a number of, um, uh, I guess, profiles, like two or three minute profiles on the drivers on their YouTube channel um, that, you know, you get to see uh, who these people are and, and what they're like. So uh, from, from that angle, I think uh, they've been doing a pretty good job. Time will tell, of course, whether this achieves its actual goal of getting women into other uh, f- parts of motorsport. But um, the, the the package, it's still pretty rough in terms of broadcast. Um, you know, live video is tough. <laughs> uh, live sports, racing, I think is a difficult thing to, to, to pull off. But um, yeah, I, I hopefully the, the growing pains will, will even out and uh, next year it'll be even better. Yeah, so I uh, haven't followed it much. I caught the reverse grid, though, uh, race. Because mm. I was like, I haven't checked it on the W Series. I wonder what their YouTube page is like. And it's bad. It's not a good scene. Mm, yeah. Like, And this is the really frustrating thing of... Um, if one of the things you're testing for is whether or not you can generate interest around a women's racing series... The thing to make that a fair test is to make sure that is widely available, and they haven't done that. Like, W Series stuff does not show up on my uh, DVR's, like, guide. Uh, Neither do a lot of small racing series. Like, my DVR basically knows that, like, F1 is happening, it knows IndyCar is happening, it knows NASCAR is happening. Beyond that, it doesn't have a good sense of, like, when or what series are running, so I have to, like go to the channel at the appointed time and like find it on the daily schedule. I think W series has ended up there for me, but in terms of there's almost no reality in which this thing isn't going to be a loss leader for a while. So if you're yeah. already dealing with that reality, why don't you just throw this shit on YouTube? Just do it. Like let people yeah. see the racing and like get to know the, the, the women competing in it. And instead, what you have are videos of Ted Kravitz. Like, this is the weird thing. You go to the W Series page. It's basically Ted Kravitz content. Like, the Mm -hmm. person being showcased on their YouTube is Ted Kravitz, who is fine. But I think there's something really illuminating and regrettable when it's like, (laughs) all right, let's see what what the latest content from the W Series is. And it's Ted Kravitz wandering around pit lane. Like, I don't want that. Uh, The reverse grid race kicked ass, though. Like, if you have not seen this, I'm going to give you a couple seconds to stop listening right now and go look that up on the W Series YouTube. 
because or hit that f- the 15 second button ahead button on your podcast thing a couple of times yeah <laughs> uh, but the reverse grid race was awesome it was first of all it was it actually did expose the degree to which there are some true like apex predators in that field yeah um, totally. and, sharks yeah but at the same time, what you didn't have was anybody just walking away with it. Like, people yeah. starting at the back weren't just, like, carving their way up the field and running away with it. Like, it remained a pretty close series. Now, they did have a couple safety cars uh, that bunched things up. But it was a pretty, like, uh, closely contested race. And it ended with just a wildly exciting uh, finale. Basically, the woman who started on pole, uh, Megan Gilkes... I get the impression she's a bit of a rookie, or yeah, a, she's very young as well. Yeah, so a, a, a bit like kind of a sort of a uh, novice stage of her career, and was starting from pole, uh, and she managed to hold on to that. Like at no point did she. She had a couple people like make challenges uh, on her throughout the race. She fended them off pretty well. Until um, Alice Powell slipped oh, mm-hmm. up back there, and what was really cool here is uh, what 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 cars are they driving? What spec series are they? They're Formula, they're Formula three, three, are they? Yeah, yeah. It seems like this is a really unforgiving series for if you have an attack go wrong, yeah. your car like your car will lose so much momentum that like if you do not make a move stick what seemed to be happening to everybody who like got into a wheel to wheel duel and lost it is they'd immediately plummet like three or four places because they would just get like snapped up by the uh, train following them. Uh, Powell had managed to carve her way forward there and launched an attack in the final laps of the race. And like, you wish you saw stuff like this in F1 every week. Uh, these are pretty simple cars. They were racing wheel to wheel. I swear to God, it looked mm. like they, they touched a few times uh, running around there. It was incredibly intense racing. And every time you thought the duel was over, Powell somehow closed it back up and like found a way to make another challenge through the corner. It went down to literally the finish line, and like I had to double check to see who'd won. Because like, it yeah, was it was amazing. It was one of the closest finishes I've ever seen. Like I think you'd have to go back to uh, like it was three thousandths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was an incredible finish to the race, um, and that wasn't the only good duel in there. And so watching that, like it's not a great production. They don't have enough cameras. I think one of their best cameras pr- positions was looking through a window where you're consistently seeing reflection from the cameraman. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh, over the track, like like the the view of the main straight, and then across the first turn, I kept thinking there was smoke on the uh, like man, they're just yeah. locking up their brakes. And no, it was the reflection was a of a guy going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it was a great race, and it immediately made me wish that there were was an entire series worth of races on the YouTube. There's nothing. There's a couple driver profiles. There's Ted Kravitz. And then because this one specifically had no points or ramifications, they were allowed to put that up on YouTube. And it's a good ad for the series. Like, if you have to have one on YouTube, that's probably the one to have. Uh, but, yeah, like, 
it is I'm a, I'm a bit more sympathetic to the youtube thing so the way i think yeah. this works is that i think the complications of having the the multi internet like multinational multi-regional licensing deal means that they were never it was going to be such a massive throwaway of money for them to say that they could put these races up on youtube especially the first year it's never going to happen people are too worried it's a new youtube channel you've no embedded audience it's going to be a nightmare the first couple of races are going to go up and no one's going to watch them right they need to t- terrestrial audiences to get people to actually watch this so the the w series youtube channel to me feels more like a community hub where yes they have mm. ted doing his little track walks they have these really well produced i've actually really enjoyed watching them um, um, like uh, backgrounds on on Marta Garcia here and Baitskavisser and, and a bunch of the the racers, um, and then I guess what they're going to have to have is these ten pole moments that get people to subscribe because they're under ten thousand subs at the moment. Um, and on Social Blade, they've been like collecting a good amount of subscribers, but it's when they put that race up that that's when all they get their views, they get new footfall, and they get new subscribers. So my hope is that like once the series is over, like the season's over, maybe at that stage. We saw this with Formula E, right? Like a lot of the time they just can't say anything. And then hopefully at the end, they'll be able to do something like put up a bunch of things or maybe next season they'll be able to introduce YouTube as part of their strategy because they have more of an embedded audience there um, because, you know, they figured out about their production pipelines and they're trying to like make sure television works right before they, they go over and do this thing. Um, so my hope is that like the Formula E thing, like the first year, it's just like a groundwork thing and have like enough there um and then you know hopefully they have a highlights package for aston here but it's like 56 seconds right so they're probably doing as much as they can so i don't know i'm kind of i hope that there's not loads here at the moment but my hope is that they'll be able to add more to it like they're qualifying from misano here and a couple of other things like as as people get into it a bit more how does blancpain make it work because they're running, because their GT series is all on YouTube. Like right. the full races, they're live to YouTube, the full videos are on YouTube. And like, it's not a shoestring series. It's a pretty serious GT series. And so that's probably why, because they have an audience, right? Yeah. Like Formula E today can get away with it because people are waiting for the races. Whereas this one is just trying to prove itself so much. Um yeah, it reminds me of like my, you know, whenever I look up YouTube or uh, music videos for bands these days on YouTube, like really good bands or really good songs, and they've got like, you know, 6,000 views on their video that probably cost yeah. them 20 grand to make. And you're like, what's going on? There's so much good content out there. It's so hard. Um, in a way, W Series isn't fighting against other YouTube channels, it's fighting just getting people in, within racing to watch this. And ultimately, the only way that's going to drive interest is if the racing is good. So thankfully, this reverse grid race did that. It seemed to prove it. It's their highest watched video by a, by a long shot, including their launch. So, you know, my I'm, I'm hopeful for it, I feel like, more than anything else. But I think, like, ultimately, Rob, you're right. Like, they, they need to, for everyone's sake, they need to get this in front of more eyes, right? Yeah. Uh, just an aside here also. Um you can also find the twenty the twenty four the i racing twenty four hours of spa in advance of the uh, pretty epic uh, twenty four hour spa race they're going to be doing this coming weekend. Uh, but that's the one where Max Verstappen and Lando Norris's uh, racing team competed and won, and Max was supposed to drive the last stint apparently, but <laughs> broke off the brake pedal uh, oh. on his sim rig, and so oh, Norris no. had to tag in. 
at the at the last second to get them across to a uh, race victory. But I am surprised at how good this iRacing esports broadcast looks. Like iRacing is not cutting edge, but in terms of camera angles, it looks pretty presentable. Um, so, Speaking of, yeah, it's cool. Do you want to take it through? Oh, yeah. Sorry, this, sorry uh, to cut you off, Rob. No, no, no. This uh, email from Michael in Minnesota says, Hey, Shift F1 crew, I took your advice from last week's episode and followed Lando Norris on Twitter, but for the added bonus content, I followed him on Instagram too. He was plugging his iRacing team there, which he is on, accompanied by Max and two other drivers. I know you've talked about it on the show before, so I thought you guys might find this humorous. It turns out that everyone on Team Redline PRT, the online team that Max and Lando compete with, except Lando, is named Max. For their sake, I hope this doesn't cause them any radio confusion when they're talking to each other via God. Discord during their races. Uh, maybe I'll have to live stream one and find out how they address each other while racing in real time when the number of Maxes is to the max. Yeah, Max Verstappen, Max Benke, ben- Benek, Benek, and Max Wenig. So even the two Germans have like similar surnames. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll try to find some uh, some of those highlights um, and the and the full race and link them uh, in the show notes so you can see uh what yeah what 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 i racing looks like stream awesome. they have got a commentator and everything actually i <laughs> just that curiosity i pulled up his uh lando's twitch page just before we started recording and he was playing player unknown's nice. battlegrounds so oh really yeah. <laughs> the most relatable nice. generation of f1 stars <laughs> <laughs> i'm so happy he's not playing fortnite that's that's great yeah uh, if you'd like to send us an email, you can do so at shift of one podcast at gmail.com or uh, hit us up on Twitter at shift one podcast. I am Andrew Scanlon. That's at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet, but should we take it around the world? Probably, yeah, it's probably time to race around the world. Yeah. Supercars are happening this weekend at the Queensland Raceway Champions Way in Willowbank, Queensland. Mm. Uh, IndyCar is at Mid-Ohio for the Honda Indy 200. The MXGP is in the Czech Republic at, um, let's see, what is this place called? Lockett? For the MXGP Lockett in Mm -hmm. the Czech Republic. The NHRA is in Sonoma Raceway, just up the road from me, uh, for the Sonoma Nationals. Awesome. Gander Mountain Trucks! They're racing at the Pocono Raceway, the Tricky Triangle, for the Gander <laughs> RV150. Uh, the Xfinity Series also followed them. No, I'm sorry. They're at the Iowa Speedway for the mm. U.S. Cellular 250. But them NASCARs. Oh, yeah? Them NASCARs know where the action's at. They followed them trucks all the way to Pocono <laughs> for the Gander RV400. NASCAR sponsor by Gander? <laughs> Kind of, I guess. Uh, in Formula One, what do you know? We are racing at Germany. Hockenheim ring <laughs> kicking off at practice one time Friday, 5 a.m. Eastern time. That's right. Good morning mm. on ESPN2. Practice two Friday at 9 a.m. on ESPNU, University of Sports. Practice three Saturday at 6 a.m. ESPN2. Qualifying is Saturday, July 27th at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPN2. And the race 
everyone. Sunday, July 28th, 9 a.m. on ESPN. 9 a.m.? 9 a.m. Eastern time. Plus five minutes. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> 9 awesome. No prefecture this week. How disappointing. I know. Yeah. Let them let them rest. Um, oh, uh, speaking of W Series, I hmm. tweeted this from the F1 Twitter account, but they have revealed their... You tweeted their... it from the F1 Twitter account? <laughs> Shift <laughs> F1 Twitter account. Uh, that'd be really funny. Uh, yeah. W Series has Spam revealed... everyone with our podcast. Uh, their prize money. Oh. So first place will get half a million dollars. Jesus. That's yeah. That's more than I was expecting, actually. And everyone gets something down all the way to $7,500 for uh, 18th place and uh, and then the reserves below that. So, yeah. Second place gets $250. Uh, third place, $125. Fourth place, $100,000. Um, yeah. It's cool. They also, I think we mentioned this in, in uh, a few episodes ago, but they have... Uh, they will be getting super license points from yes. the FIA. It's not determined how many, though. Like what, you know, on what level um, with another racing series they will be. But uh, after this, um, from 2020 on, the racers in uh, W Series will earn super license points. And if you don't know what that is, you need a certain number of super license points to be able to race uh, in Formula One. So they will start accruing for W Series drivers from next year. That's awesome. That's like one of the one of the missions, right? Was to to get that in. So nice work. Yeah. All right. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash shift F one. Uh, anything else from you, Danny? Nah, excited for the race. We'll see how it goes. Could go any way, any which way. And maybe some of that depends on those clouds. So pray and look up, everyone. Robert. Sorry. I'm not sure he's thinking about it. <laughs> he's praying he's praying to the clouds yeah no I think Mercedes is praying for the clouds yeah because another hot race they're screwed anyway yeah find me at Rob Zachney I'm looking forward to this race <laughs> alright well have a good race weekend everyone we will see you all next week meow <laughs>